Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, we'll be in Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. Or you could also follow along, if you'd like, on the Version Bible app. Uh, just by uh, opening that up, uh, clicking at more on the bottom, uh, hitting events, and uh, Cornerstone Community Church in Alwana should be the first one that pops up. If it doesn't, uh, you can search for that. And while you're getting to Leviticus... I know that, you know, maybe this has happened to you. Maybe you have started the year and you have said, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And I'm going to follow a a Bible reading plan and I'm going to start in Genesis and I'm going to work my way through all the way to Revelation and I'm going to read the entire Bible this year. And you start off great. You start off strong in Genesis. And then you get to Exodus, and you're like, okay, I'm, I'm making progress. But then you get to Leviticus. And you get to Leviticus, and you start reading about offerings and law and rules and regulations. And then you read some of them, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. Like, what is he talking about? And then you move from Leviticus to Numbers, and by then you start kind of speed reading through it. Like, oh, I'm, it's here for a reason. But I'm going to just try to hurry up and get through it so I can get to things that maybe make a little more sense. I get it. It's happened. But you see, I think the thing is, Leviticus, yes, there's laws and there's all these things that seem a little bit confusing, but the book of Leviticus is a lot of grace and it's a lot of mercy and it's a lot of God saying to his people, I desire more for you than just being like everybody else. I desire more for you than just being like the culture around you. And I want you to live a life that's holy and a life that's righteous. And we see so much in the book of Leviticus that shows God's grace, that shows God's mercy, that shows a God who wants his people to be set apart, to be holy. And what's so interesting about Leviticus is there's so much of it that points to something greater to come. And so we start going through the book of Leviticus this morning and we'll spend the next five weeks kind of looking at some of the major themes in the book of Leviticus. And I'd like to say that Leviticus this morning, it starts off kind of easing us into everything. And the book of Leviticus, it just it starts us off a little bit easy and then it gets into some uh, tough subjects, but that's not the way it starts. And I have to admit, I, I wasn't thinking about this in the timing when you know, it's invite a friend day at church and we're talking about sacrifice. And we're talking about offerings. And Moses doesn't ease into it. It starts kind of right where we left off in Exodus. God is dwelling with his people in the midst of his people. And then we find ourselves in Leviticus chapter 1 talking about offerings. And so we see in these first few chapters, there's a ton of different types of offerings, and we're going to kind of touch on some of these, but we're going to focus mainly on a few. And so I want to start by first talking about what were these offerings? Because the first seven chapters, we see a lot about these different offerings. Well, the first offering, and the one we'll spend a lot of time on this morning, is the burnt offering. And a burnt offering, and I'm thinking gotquestions.com for these definitions, um, a burnt offering was the complete destruction of an animal 
except for the hide, in an effort to renew the relationship between the holy God and the sinful man. See, this was the oldest type of offering. It's entirely possible that the burnt offering got its start in Genesis chapter 4, verse 4. If this wasn't the case, if that offering wasn't a burnt offering, we see for sure in Genesis 8.20, Noah offer a burnt offering. And you see, a person could give a burnt offering at any time. It was a sacrifice of general atonement. People would acknowledge their sinful nature, and it was an opportunity to seek renewal with God. But there were also times that were set apart to give burnt offerings that God asked that these offerings would be given. For example, in the morning and the evening, these were the times that were given to give a burnt offering. Numbers 28.2 says, Give this command to the Israelites and say to them, Make sure that you present to me at the appointed time my food offerings as an aroma pleasing to me. Each Sabbath, the burnt offering was a requirement. Numbers 28, 9 and 10. On the Sabbath day, make an offering of two lambs, a year old without defect, together with its drink offering and a grain offering of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil. This is the burnt offering for every Sabbath, in addition to the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. The beginning of each month, the burnt offering was required. Numbers 28, 11. On the first of every month, present to the Lord a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram and seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. At the Passover, it was a requirement. Numbers 28, 18, and 19. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Present to the Lord a food offering consistent, uh, consisting of a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram and seven male lambs, a year old, all without defect. It was a requirement for the new grain slash first fruits offering at the Feast of Weeks. Numbers 28, 26, and 27. On the day of first fruits, when you present to the Lord an offering of new grain during the Festival of Weeks, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Present a burnt offering of two young bulls, one ram and seven melons, a year old, as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And lastly, it was a requirement at the Feast of Trumpets. Numbers 29, 1 and 2, on the first day of the seventh month, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. It is a day for you to sound the trumpets as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Offer a burnt offering of one young bull, one ram, and seven male lambs a year old, all without defect. And so this is the burnt offering. There was also the grain offering. And the purpose of the grain offering was to express thanksgiving and recognition of God's provision and unmerited goodwill toward the people making the sacrifice. There was a fellowship offering. This was a sacrifice of thanksgiving and fellowship followed by a shared meal. The fat, kidneys, lobe of the liver were given to God in a burnt offering and the remaining part of the animal was for the participants to eat and it would symbolize God's provision. There was the sin offering. All these other offerings previously were voluntary. The next two were mandatory the sin offering, the purpose of the sin offering was to atone for sin and cleanse from defilement, often dealing with unintentional sins. Then there was the guilt offering. This was a trespass offering, was given as an atonement for unintentional sins that required reimbursement to an offended party, and also as a cleansing from defiling sins of physical maladies. And so there's these various types of offerings and to first read it, it might seem, okay, there's a lot here and there's a lot to process. What is the importance of these offerings? What's the reason behind these offerings? And what does it mean for us? And I think our text this morning 
It'll give us a detail, and it's hard to read, and it's hard to think about, but it was important because of what these offerings, these sacrifices meant. So we're going to start in Leviticus chapter 1 in the first two verses. It says this, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. He said, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When anyone among you brings an offering to the Lord, bring as your offering an animal from either the herd or the flock. The tent of meeting here, it's referring to the holy place of the tabernacle. And he's speaking out to Moses and he tells Moses, I want you to tell this to the Israelites. When you bring an offering, bring an offering of these different types of animals. And the word here for offering, it's a word that means that which is brought to God. Take these animals and bring those to me, sacrifice those to me. Those offerings are meant to be for me. And he tells them to bring a herd or a flock, animal from a herd or a flock. And in our text this morning, we see three types of sections from which people could bring an offering. The herd, which would be a bull. The flock, which would be a sheep or goats. And birds were the animals that could be offered. And so God gives this decree to the people, and we start in verse 3 with this process. It says this in verse 3. It says, If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd... You are to offer a male without defect. You must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. You are to lay your hand on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. You are to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priest, shall bring the blood and splash it against the sides of the altar at the entrance to the tent of meeting. You are to skin the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And so we start here right off the bat with an offering that comes from the herd, so a bull. And we see these kind of seven steps that take place in this process. And the first thing that we see is that they are to bring a male bull without defect. This was in sense saying that they were to give God their very best. This animal couldn't have any defect, any disease, any blemish. They would be giving up one of their best breeding animals. And maybe you're wondering, what is what would that entail to say that it has to be without defect, disease, blemish? What, what are you looking for, God, when you say that? Well, God gave his people instructions on this. In Leviticus chapter 2, 22 through 25, he tells them, Do not offer to the Lord the blind, the injured, or the maimed, or anything with warts or festering or running sores. Do not place any of these on the altar as a food offering presented to the Lord. You may, however, present as a freewill offering an ox or a sheep that is deformed or stunted, but it will not be accepted in fulfillment of a vow. You must not offer to the Lord an animal whose testicles are bruised, crushed, torn, or cut. You must not do this in your own land, and you must not accept such animals from the hand of a foreigner and offer them as the food of your God. They will not be accepted on your behalf because they are deformed and have defects. So God gave his people these instructions here. If you're wondering what this entails, what animals you are not to bring to the altar, here is this list for you to look at. 
And so we see that they're to bring a bull without defect, and they are to take it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. Now, the entrance to the tent of meeting, this was likely the entire front court of the tabernacle in the area adjacent to the altar of burnt offerings. It was possibly the north side of the altar because what we read in verse 11, and we'll talk about that more here in a bit, and they're to bring the animal in, and it says that they were to lay their hand on the head of the animal they brought to sacrifice. Now, this isn't them just bringing an animal in and just kind of gently tapping their head and saying, you know, this is the animal that I'm bringing here to sacrifice. This was something that went much deeper than this. The word for lay your hand on the head, it meant to rest or to support oneself on the animal. And so it wouldn't just be gently tapping the head of the animal. They would be leaning on, resting on the head of that animal. In doing so, it would identify the person, the worshiper, making the offer with the animal as his substitute. And so he would lay rest down on this animal, saying that, identifying this animal is going to be the substitute for me. He's going to take on my sins. This animal was taken the person's place, and so to touch the head would be laying on, in a way, this, the sin that they have on this animal. In doing so, it tells us that it would be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. This is an important phrase. It will be accepted on your behalf to make atonement for you. The word for this phrase, to make atonement, it's a word kipper. And it's believed that this word kipper has different meanings to it. It could mean to cover It could also mean to wipe something clean, and it could also mean to pay a ransom. And it's likely that this sense of wiping something clean, it falls in line with the sin offering because of the use of the blood in the sin offering. But here, it's more likely what this is referring to is this idea of paying a ransom and covering sin. This animal that you're laying on the altar, this animal that is being sacrificed, this is a ransom. This is covering your sins. We see this similar idea played out in Scripture in Judges 13.23. But his wife answered, If the Lord has meant to kill us, he would not have accepted our burnt offerings and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. Second Samuel 24.25, David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. And the Lord answered his prayer in behalf of the land, and the plague on Israel was stopped. Second Chronicles 29, 7-8, what happens when they didn't offer a burnt offering? It says they also shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord has fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. He has made them an object of dread and horror and scorn, as you can see with your own eyes. So this the whole thing was being done for a reason. This animal being brought to the altar, this animal is meant to take the place of the person, the worshiper who is bringing this animal. And then we see what this next step, the slaughter of this young bull. The word slaughter, it actually is the word sacrifice. They were to sacrifice this animal. And this would be done in a way that the blood could be drained out. They would sacrifice this animal and the blood would pour out of this animal. And this is actually the most important part of the entire process because it is the life that is poured out in death that brings atonements. It was the life that was poured out that would bring this atonement. 
And the worshiper would be the one to do this. A lot of times we kind of picture in our mind that it would be the priest who would be doing all of this. They would just bring the animal and the priest would do everything. This wasn't the case. The worshiper would be the one to slaughter this bull. And the priest, they would then take the blood and they would splash it against the sides of the altar. And the purpose of this was to offer the life of the animal to God because of the fact that the blood represented life poured out. Life now given up and given as an offer, as a sacrifice to God. This was so important that God would later tell his people in Leviticus 17, 10 and 12, I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm a little bit of a squeamish person as I was reading that this week. But the blood, it was important. This blood was important, and that's why God says don't eat blood, because this blood is meant for atonement. The life is in the blood. And so what do they do next? They're to take this offering, they're to skin the offering, and they're to cut it into pieces. And notice again here, this is not the job of the priest, but this is the job of the worshiper. It was their offering, it was their sins. They were the ones who did a majority of the work on this. The heaviest part of the job is the one who was making the offering. Matter of fact, we see here that the worshiper who is doing all of this, they were the ones who also had to wash the internal organs and legs with water. Again, got me a little bit this week. Why, would, why did they have to do that? Why did they have to wash the internal organs and the legs with water? These would be the parts that were defiled by excrement. And they had to be cleaned to be placed on the altar. And so they would have to clean them. And what would the priest be doing during this? Well, the priest would put the fire on the altar and arrange the wood for the altar and this is a little confusing if you read uh, kind of the rest of Leviticus. It can be a little confusing because in various chapters it states that at most of the festivals and other events or occasions, sin offerings were usually the first offerings done. And so the burnt offering should already be lit and ready to go. And so uh, what's the deal here? Well, Leviticus six twelve thirteen it also tells us that the fire was supposed to stay burning between morning and evening sacrifice. Leviticus 6, 12, 13, it says, The fire on the altar must be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire then burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. And so really what this is is just, just an expression to show that it was the priest's jobs to take care of the fire. The priest had to make sure that the fire was going, had to make sure the fire wasn't burnt out, had to make sure that everything as far as this wood and the altar being set up and it was burning, it was all on him to make sure it was going just the way it was supposed to. Then the priest would take the pieces of the animal, including the head, and would set it on the altar along with the fat. And then it said that this was an aroma that was pleasing to the Lord. And you might have read that in the past and you might be thinking, how does God think that burning carcass is pleasing to, the, pleasing to him? How is that aroma pleasing to him? It doesn't make any sense. Well, really what this is, it's an anthropomorphic statement. And what that means, it's a 
a statement that describes God's response in human terms. And so really, when it's a pleasing aroma, what he's saying is that this shows God's approval and his acceptance of the offering. And really, at a deeper level, it's a theological statement saying that, he's, that God is pleased with what has happened. And because he is pleased, it's done exactly what it's meant to do, and that is to make atonement for their sin. And so this aroma that's pleasing to him, it's pleasing to him because it is something that he has accepted. It's something that he has approved. And so that is the process. And we move on to verse 10. It says, If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, you are to offer a mill without defect. You are to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall splash its blood against the sides of the altar. You are to cut it into pieces, and the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat on the wood that is burning on the altar. You are to wash the internal organs and legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of them and burn them on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. And really, what we see here is the same process played out again. A male without defect. The same steps would apply the laying on the hand of the head, the resting on that animal, the slaughter, the blood poured on the altar, all of that stuff would be replayed, redone. And again, it would be an aroma pleasing to the Lord. It would be something that he approved and would bring atonement. But then we get into verse 14, and things are a little different. It says, If the offering to the Lord is a burnt offering of birds, you are to offer a dove or a young pigeon. The priest shall bring it to the altar, wring off the head, and burn it on the altar. Its blood shall be drained out on the side of the altar. He is to remove the crop and the feathers and throw them down east of the altar where the ashes are. He shall tear it open by the wings, not dividing it completely, and then the priest shall burn it on the wood that is burning on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, an aroma pleasing to the Lord." So whereas in the previous two, it was on the worshiper for the most part here, this was mostly on the priest. And so a dove or a young pigeon could be offered if the worshiper could not afford the other animals. Not everybody could afford a bull. Not everybody could afford sheep or goat. And so they would have to bring in a bird. This is told to us in Leviticus 5.7. Anyone who cannot afford a lamb is to bring two doves or two young pigeons to the Lord as a penalty for their sin one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And what was interesting is this would often be used for a purification offering. Leviticus 15, 14 and 15. On the eighth day, he must take two doves or two young pigeons and come before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting and give them to the priest. The priest is to sacrifice them, one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And this way he will make atonement before the Lord for the man because of his discharge. Number six, ten, and eleven. Then on the eighth day, they must bring two doves or two young pigeons to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest is to offer one as a sin offering and the other one as a burnt offering to make atonement for the Nazarite because they sinned by being in the presence of the dead body. And so what would happen next? This sacrifice says that they would wrench off the head of the bird and this would be done with a fingernail close to the nape through the neck bone. It would go through the windpipe and the gullet, and the blood would be drained out to the last drop beside the altar. 
And then it says the crop and the feathers would be removed. And I always went, what was a crop? What is the crop of a bird? I didn't know what that was. And so I looked it up. The crop of a bird is a specialized pouch in the esophagus that would store and moisten food before it would enter the stomach. This is what would allow birds to eat large amount of food quickly and then digest it over time. And so this would be taken out along with the contents that were in it and it would be cast aside onto the ash pit. And the bird, which had been partially torn open from the wing, was burned on the altar and again. This aroma pleasing to the Lord. This aroma, this approval, this acceptance of this offering which would bring atonement. And so this was the burn offering. And really, the burn offering was an important part. And some have asked, what's the difference between this and the other offerings? The sin offering, the guilt offering, they have a lot of the same process. What's the difference between the two? What makes them different? Well, the sin offering, while it was mostly the same as far as the worshiper was concerned, the priest really had a lot of differences with this one. Some of the major differences is that the priest would take the blood and he would sprinkle it seven times in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. He would then smear blood on the horns of the altar of incense inside the holy place. This was a plea for atonement. Also, blood was to be smeared on the horns of the bronze altar, and the remaining portion of the blood was poured out at the base of the bronze altar, and the fat of the animal was burned on the altar, and the rest of the animal was taken outside the camp and burned on an ash pile. What's so interesting about that is that notice what the blood is used for there. They would take the blood and they would use the blood to cleanse things that were in the tabernacle, in the sanctuary. They would use the blood to clean these things which would be defiled or dirty. They would use the blood as a cleansing agent. And then we see these specific sins that might require a sin offering in Leviticus 5. If you withheld testimony, accidental ceremonial defilement, idle swearing... These were cases that would need a sin offering. What about the guilt offering? What's the difference between this and the guilt offering? Again, pretty much the same thing as far as the worshiper would go. And there had some similarities between this and the sin offering. Both procured atonement. The trespass offering differed from the sin offer, though, in the fact that it applied only to one individual, whereas the other would apply to many. The animal was slaughtered and then eaten by the priest. It could only consist of a ram, and it pertained to the misappropriation of what belonged to either the Lord or to a fellow Israelite. And then it required a restitution penalty of 20%. And so these offerings, you might think, there's a lot there, and it seems kind of complicated. Well, I'll just put it this way. All these offerings went hand in hand. All these offerings went hand in hand, and they all had a common theme amongst all of them, and that was the atonement for sin. And so what I want to do now is just break this down to something very simple. This is a very important thing that we see here at the beginning of Leviticus. Why is this so important, this sacrifice, the offering? Well, the reason it was so important is because it gave the people an opportunity to be cleansed from sin. Really, that's what this is all about this morning. It gave the people an opportunity to be cleansed from their sin. This is a gift that God has given his people, the Israelites, because it gave them that opportunity to be cleansed from sin. Last week we talked about it, that our sin does what? It separates us from God. Our sin separates us from God. He is a holy God. He is 
the holy of holies. He is the holiest. He is a holy God. And because of our sinful nature, that makes us less than holy. And if we are less than holy, that puts a chasm, a distance, a gap between us and God. Isaiah 59, 2. That your inequities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And because of this, people needed a way to atone for their sins. And God gave them this exactly in offerings, in sacrifice. And here's the thing. Sacrifice, the sin was not light. The sin of the people was not light. Sin is a heavy thing. And because sin is a heavy thing, sin requires sacrifice. It required sacrifice. And because of this, people needed a way to atone for these sins, and God gave them this. And I love how Kenneth Baker puts it in his commentary for the NIV Study Bible. He says, When more than one kind of offering was presented, the procedure was usually as follows. Sin offering or guilt offering, then burn offering, then fellowship offering and grain offering. And this sequence furnishes part of the spiritual significance of the sacrificial system. First, sin had to be dealt with. Second, the worshiper committed himself completely to God. And third, fellowship or communion between the Lord and the priest and the worshiper was established. God orchestrated this sacrificial system so that the people could have their sins cleansed, that they could be recommitted to the Father, that they could be obedient to Him. God gave them this system, but there was just one problem with this whole thing. One major problem with this whole thing. What is it? Well, this was only a temporary solution. It was a temporary solution to a problem that was not going away and still has not gone away. The sinful nature that they had, that we still have, would continue to cause a need for this continual sacrifice. As long as they had sin in them, they would have to continue to go and offer these sacrifices over and over and over again. And so God had a solution. And what was that solution? A solution was this, to send a son. And that is exactly what happened. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He is the burnt offering. He is the blood, the sin offering. He is the guilt offering. All of these things in the life of Jesus. When Jesus went to the cross, his life was consumed. His blood poured out for us as an offering to God. The sins of this world placed on him. And just as it says in Isaiah 53, 5-8, prophesying about the one that this would happen to. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led, by, led to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people. He was punished. You see, that sacrifice of the animal was temporary 
Over and over and over and over again, there would be a need to sacrifice this animal, to have this burnt offering, this sin offering, this guilt offering. There was going to be a need. But this sacrifice, no, this sacrifice was different. This one was once and for all. Jesus was the atoning sacrifice for all people, once and for all, sin put to death, once and for all. This sacrifice that would do away with the need for all these other sacrifices. He suffered once and for all. First Peter 3.18, for Christ, also, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. First John 2.2, 2, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hebrews 10.10, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He was that once and for all. He was that final sacrifice. He was the one who went to the cross. His blood poured out. His body consumed. He took on our sins so that we can be forgiven. I'm so thankful for this sacrifice. I'm so thankful for what it is he's done, not only because I'm squeamish and I wouldn't want to have to do animal sacrifices, but because of what this means for us. In our brokenness, in our sinfulness, this chasm that has come between us and God, Jesus on the cross, the life that was poured out, the blood that was shed for us, the offering that was accepted, that was a pleasing aroma to God, that was accepted, that became what we needed for atonement, all of that done for us so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And as they do, maybe you're here this morning and you've been living with this chasm between you and God. And maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, I'm just, I feel like that chasm goes on for miles and miles and miles. I feel like that chasm is, is so far, so deep, so wide that there's just no chance that I could ever return to God. There, there's just things that I've done. There's mistakes that I've made. My sins are too great and too many. I'm too lost. I'm too broken. I'm too messed up to ever get back to him. And that couldn't be further from the truth. You see, Jesus was slain. His life poured out in the blood his body broken. All of this poured out for us in this atoning sacrifice for us. And here's the good news. His body was broken. His blood was shed. His body consumed. But he didn't stay that way. He bled. He died. He went to the grave and he rose again. And because of what he has done, because of his sacrifice, once and for all, for our sin, his death, his resurrection, we can have forgiveness of our sins. So it doesn't matter how far, how deep, how wide you think that chasm is. There's no distance that hasn't been repaired by the blood of Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your life to him. You look at that chasm and you think there's no way I could ever 
go to him. This morning you can do just that. You can give your life to him. You can go to him. You can lay those sins at his feet and you can receive forgiveness of your sins. You can do that. You can have that atonement. You just have to go to him. And so this morning in your connect cards and the chairs around you, you can fill that out. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. And maybe you want to do that this morning. You can come up here. I'd love to talk with you about it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've given your life to him, but over time things have just gotten in the way. Sin has gotten in the way and you're starting to fill that chasm. You're starting to fill that, the length, the, the depth of that chasm growing and growing and growing. Well, this morning... You can take your sin, your shame, your guilt, all of those things and pour those things out to him. You can do that right where you're sitting. You can pray to him and leave those things at his feet. You can come up here. I'd love to pray with you. Brothers and sisters around you would love to pray with you. And it seems so dark. It seems so gruesome. The the sacrifice of these animals, the blood pouring out, all of these things, but these all had a purpose. People could be cleansed from their sin. But God knew it was only temporary. It would only last for so long. But he had a plan all the way from the beginning. In Genesis, he always had a plan. Soon as sin entered this world, he had a plan. And he executed that plan. And Jesus came and he lived and he died and his blood was poured out for us. So if you're here this morning and you have a decision, pray that you would make it as we stand and we sing.